Tonight we're going to look, uh, I'm going to read from Psalm 73 briefly, and then our goal was to kind of address some questions that have been coming up throughout the semester and some of the questions I got last week. But I'm going to read from Psalm 73. We're not really going to go through the text, um, but this text sits at the foundation of everything that we're going to be saying. This is the Word of God. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these words from the psalmist. We thank you that you are our refuge, that you are our king, that you're the only sure thing, dear Lord, and we thank you that we will will meet you in glory. I pray now as we consider for this last time just some aspects of dating and aspects of figuring out life in this world, dear Lord, impress upon us the beauty of your grace, the freeness of your love, dear Lord, and the glorious nature of having the right to come and approach you at the throne and having the right and the privilege and the joy to join you at the Lamb's Feast. Dear God, I pray that your kingship and who you are will become central to who we are. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, what I want to do tonight is talk about some of the questions that have been bounced around, but also some of the questions I received throughout the semester. And I hope this will be beneficial to y'all, but it's probably not going to look like what you want it to look like. Because when I looked at the questions, um, they're legitimate questions and they're good questions and they're questions we all have. But I kind of want to ask the question like, what perspective drives us to ask those questions and what kind of perspective wants the kind of answers we typically expect, if that makes sense. And so hopefully it'll make sense as we go through. Um, What do we typically expect when we ask those questions? And what I really want to say, and you see it on the outline tonight, is there's really two ways to encounter life. There's really two ways to encounter dating, marriage, all your relationships, work, whatever it is, really everything that is you that's walking into life, there's kind of two fundamental ways to encounter it. And the first way that we'll spend a little time on is to walk through life with kind of the underlying thing underneath everything is really to walk through life in fear. And a lot of, um, in some ways, a lot of things you're thinking this semester, but also always thinking is, um, you know, it is really kind of driven by fear. And fear is fundamentally kind of the belief that I might not be safe, that things might not work out, that I kind of can't control my life. Um, And it manifests itself in a lot of different ways. And in some ways, what fear really is, is... It's kind of actually the fundamental life, it's the fundamental belief in life that what I've got to do is I've got to make sure that I'm psychologically, emotionally, materially maybe, and relationally safe. And fear really drives that kind of thinking in life and sits underneath it all like, this world doesn't seem to be safe, so what I've got to do is I've got to figure out a lifestyle that makes me safe in all of those areas. In a lot of ways, what fear does is it actually kind of take hold, takes hold of the genders in different ways that are kind of appropriate to the distinctions. 
And what I mean is, and, and there's crossover here, there's certainly crossover here, but if guys are called to be leaders in a relationship, then what happens to them is when what fear does to them is, fear is, I don't want to lead. Fear is, I, don't want, I want to avoid responsibility. I want to avoid the possibility of failing at leadership. And so what fear looks like in guys is not us cringing in a room thinking, oh my gosh, I'm scared, oh my gosh, I'm scared. Maybe that happens some too. But what fear really looks like is actually just retreating from responsibility in relationships in the world. And so fear really drives us to actually just convenience and comfort. And it doesn't look like something disastrous. It just looks like something unengaged. Because men are called to be leaders and fear, fear drives us to avoid that role in relationships. And if men are called to be leaders and women are called to follow and to submit in the right way according to Scripture, then what women really fear is, um, in, in the same way, they fear having to trust. They fear, and, and what women do, if men are avoiding responsibility and avoiding taking the leadership, in a lot of ways, again, there's crossover here, but in a lot of ways, if, men, if women were made to lead, their fear results in control. Their fear results in, I can't control these circumstances in life. I've got to take hold of something tight, whether it is my family, whether it's these individual issues in my life. I've got to take control of something and have mastery over it. And you see this picture like in all, you know, I'm trying to think what are even current sitcoms, but this is the typical complaint Christians have about sitcoms, and they're actually right. But every sitcom always has the unengaged dad and the overprotective and the controlling and competent mother. And it's always this kind of truncated picture of, of the relationship. Are you all familiar? I mean, like, Cosby Show is kind of like that. These are dated ones. Roseanne's kind of like that. Um, do what? Everybody loves Raymond. And those are really pictures of the way both genders really deal with fear inside a relationship. The man is avoiding responsibility and choosing a maturity, and the woman is overbearing and saying controlling. And the man doesn't have to deal with taking risk in life, the risk of being responsible, and women don't have to trust them. Because they control everything. And fear is the thing that sits beneath both of those. And I know throughout the semester, kind of make it more tangible for y'all. Um, you're thinking about relationships and some of the, you know, this is guys and girls, but some of the guys are fearing like, oh my gosh, he's making relationships sound really serious. What does it look like? I'm scared to death of entering into dating now. I've probably made dating sound too serious. And so you're fearful about what it means to be a responsible in a relationship, and you're scared about, you know, how to ask out a girl and date responsibly and all this kind of stuff. And some of you who are in relationships are like, oh my gosh, does that mean I have to get married tonight? I have to get engaged now? And, um, and there's a sense in which a little bit that's a misinterpretation, but there's also a sense in which a little bit of that's just fear. <laughs> wow, what time. That was awesome. <laughs> There's fear. Um, but there's a sense in which, guys, a little bit of what you felt when you heard me talk about dating and the way that we, we, we really bond with each other in dating and we're really made to be married and a lot of things you do in dating are about you being married, you start to feel like, oh my gosh, maybe I'm supposed to get married. And maybe fear is really holding you back from that. And, you know, we use education as a convenient excuse. Oh, i got to graduate, all that kind of stuff. Whatever it is. But there's a sense in which... No, 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 it can't mean that. It can't mean that I actually take responsibility in this relationship. For girls, what it's looked like this semester, I'm sure, is um, you're, you're, you might be afraid, is it going to happen for me? 
Why aren't the guys asking me out? Is someone going to treasure me as beautiful? Am I going to be able to trust a man? Am I going to be able to like marriage? Am I going to be able to like sexuality? And you really sit in fear as you think about relationships. Is it going to happen for me? And um, these manifestations of fear for both men and women, they're not just in these arenas of life. It's not just in the roles of relationship. The reason that guys play a ton of video games is because we're avoiding responsibility. I'm not saying video games are wrong. Things are not wrong. The way we go about engaging them is wrong because it's the way our heart escapes to that reality is wrong. Nick Farkas is feeling all like convicted. <laughs> this is all about talking to Nick tonight. I just had no excuse. Um, he's never coming back to RUF. Um, it's the reason, um, and this is, this is for both genders, it's the reason pornography is an issue. Pornography is a way to avoid the responsibility and the hard things of life. You can avoid the responsibility of relationship and get to the pleasure. And you can avoid all the work it takes to get to know someone, and you can avoid the risk of being vulnerable with someone and the risk of extending yourself and doing the hard work of creating healthy intimacy and just choosing to indulge in a false form of intimacy. And that's for both guys and girls. And and pornography and that whole stuff is not just Internet pornography. You know and I know that books draw thoughts out and desires out, and PG-13 movies even, maybe even PG movies, and I'm not saying movies are wrong, but some of us can't look at those things. And you, and you even know that lust is drawn out of your heart even just seeing things across campus. It's not something that's just that takes place in front of a computer screen, but all the different ways in which we circumvent real relational responsibility just to get to the stuff that we want. Ultimately, that's really born out of fear. It's the reason guys' small groups stink. Guys' small group Bible study is the hardest thing in ministry because guys don't want to be vulnerable. Girls are actually a little bit better than that than guys are because y'all's fears, y'all want to control everything, so you want to get everything out there and get it all dealt with. Guys are like, I can't tell anybody about this kind of stuff. It's vulnerable. It's risky. Men retreat out of fear. Women control in a lot of ways out of fear. And what it's all really driven toward is it's driven toward pursuing emotional and psychological and material and relational safety. And what you might be hoping for in a campus ministry and what you might be hoping for in a great book that you're reading or advice from someone is a method or a philosophy or uh, you know, a secret kind of wisdom that will ensure that life is safe for you. And fear is willing to believe that there are empty promises in all of those things. And the problem is, none of those things can ensure safety. And let me be clear about this too. Christianity doesn't ensure safety either. Jesus is very clear in the Gospels in Luke 9 and Luke 12. He actually warns people against following them. He actually says, a guy says, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. I don't get to rest. You don't know what it's like to follow the Son of Man. You should reconsider that. In Luke 12, a guy wants to follow him and he says, he's talking to the disciples. And he says, y'all need to count the cost because the cost is high. And it's not easy. And Paul's ministry and his, him talking about his ministry reflects that. Paul, all throughout his epistles, talks about how it's hard, how it's perplexing to live as a Christian, how it's confusing, how he feels crushed, how he feels like he's dying to live as a Christian. He even says in Philippians 1, he said, you know what, sometimes I just want, don't want to do ministry anymore. I just want to go and be with Jesus. Doing the Christian thing, Christianity is not a promise for safety either. 
There's not a method, there's not a system, there's not a philosophy, and, and that includes the Christian faith, that promises you safety, that promises you even happiness in this life. And if you came this semester looking for a method, you know, for how to date successfully, what are the successful rules for dating, I kind of hope that what you feel a little bit is actually disappointed. Because fear loves rules. It's one of the ways we control the world. Making a lot of even apparently good-looking rules, Paul actually warns against. In Colossians 2, he says, when you make a lot of these good-looking rules, they have the appearance of like really good self-made religion. They have the appearance of asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You see, fear tries to make us control the world that we're in, and we do it by making little rules for ourselves and living inside of little universes that we've kind of created. But those rules have no power to change, and all of our worlds come undone. And in a lot of ways, the great enemy that you have to deal with and we all have to deal with is death. Because we can all control a lot of little things for a while. We can be successful at that for a while, but sin's greatest power is death. What are you going to do for that moment? What control mechanism do you have for that moment. Fear drives us to try to control the world, to try to ensure safety, and those things don't happen. And we try to make rules in order to do it. And so what we wanted this semester is, all right, tell me somewhere in the Bible that says, I can't kiss or I can't kiss in this much. Right? Because that gives us safety. Finally, we have a rule. We can hang on it. We keep that rule. We're in control. You know, tell me I'm supposed to date for six months and then get engaged. You know, there's a rule. We keep it. We feel safe in it because we can control it and it all makes sense, right? But God doesn't give us those rules. And He warns us against making good the rules that have the appearance of good religion. So, what is the counter to that? What is the other way to encounter and deal with life. And you see it on your outline, it's really by faith. And faith is a scary, scary thing. Because if fear is about doing whatever it takes for you to make life safe for you, so you can, men can avoid responsibility and women can control the worlds they live in, faith is the opposite. Because faith is trusting that God is restoring His kingdom. Fear is control, and faith is, according to Hebrews 11, the assurance of things that you hope for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith allows us to say about the difficulty in this life, I consider the sufferings of this present time. And there's some serious sufferings. And we had, some of us encounter some of those serious sufferings, and some of us haven't yet. But it says, I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. See, the, pro- the Bible doesn't promise safety in this life. It promises the restoration of creation. It promises the forgiveness of sins. It promises the resurrection. And it promises that we're actually going to have a feast to celebrate all of that stuff. And faith is living in those promises. And faith eradicates fear. 1 John 4.18, it's a typo in your sheet, says that God's perfect love casts out fear. You see, when we, start, when we stop figuring out that, you know, if I make this life about safety for me, and we begin to become open to the things that God has to teach us in Scripture, we find out the way fear is eradicated is God loves us. And we're brought into His kingdom. And we find out that at the center of our world, in the center of our story, in the center of our life, there is a king who's defeated 
sin and who's defeated death for us, then all of a sudden our life, the life of His children aren't driven by fear anymore. It's driven by love, and it's driven by a love that's given to us by grace. C.S. Lewis calls it a disinterested love. In in Screwtape Letters, two demons are corresponding about how to tempt people. And one of the things they talk about over and over again is they say, they call God the enemy because they're demons. And they said, the enemy talks, keeps talking about this disinterested love thing, but we know he've got, he's got some other plan going on. It can't be that he really freely loves. It can't be that he really freely loves these people. And it's so shockingly free that we can't really believe it. And we find fear creeping back in because when we really start to encounter how costly it was for him to love us and then how freely he extends it to us, You just can't believe it's true. And fear creeps back in and we want to control because there's no way I can really be loved like that for free, by grace. But as we grow into that grace and as we begin to get that free love, y'all, we find that we can let go of the fear that controls us. And you see, things aren't made right when we pursue our own safety by a method or a philosophy or even Christian-looking, religious-looking rules. Things aren't made right by implementing a system. Things are made right when you encounter a person. Things are made right when you encounter the king. And Jesus isn't just a free pass to heaven. Christianity is not just get your sins taken care of and a free pass to heaven. He's the king that we were made to glorify and enjoy. He is the center of all creation. He made it all and he made us in his image and he longed for us to be his sons and daughters. And he sustains creation and he's restoring creation after we messed it up. And He's offering us grace to be a part of that restoration. See, as long as we can't see further in ourselves, and as long as our goal is self-protection and self-preservation and self-safety, we're going to live in fear. And things like dating and things like marriage and really all of life will just be us constructing little universes in which we feel like we have control. And it's just an illusion of control because all the while we're just building houses that are built on the sand. But by faith, the love of God, y'all, and the beauty of the King, a life that by His grace begins to see that the King is at the center of it all, that profoundly transforms our approach to all the questions we had this semester. A lot of the questions that came up, I do want to address them, but I wanted to say all that in, uh, <coughs> by way to kind of get to them. The first question that came up a bunch is, where is the physical line, right, for the physical relationship? It was kind of... I got several different questions. Are you supposed to kiss? What's the line? How far is too far? And you see, if all the songs we sang are true, and we're excited about approaching the throne, and really it's true that God's fixing this world again, and all our little tries to attempt to control this life are fruitless, but when we find ourselves in Him, there's peace. Our question in relationships is no longer, what can I get physically out of this dating relationship? The question gets changed. The question gets, becomes, how do I honor the King with this? How do I help them honor the king with this? This person who I'm relating to who's not my spouse, how do I be concerned for their holiness? How do I want them to see Jesus in our relationship and indeed even in our physical relationship? And here's the beautiful thing. Inside of marriage, my holiness is nourished by the sexuality that's part of our marriage. And I grow in my knowledge and understanding of the king and his grace with our physical relationship. And it's wonderful. But outside of marriage... It's just a mutual parasitic relationship. It has nothing outside of covenant can sustain the kind of things that happen inside of sexuality. 
So the question gets transformed when the king becomes the center of our life. The question gets transformed of not where's the line, but how do I honor the king? How do I help them honor the king? How do I point them towards Jesus? And you really can't answer your physical relationship question by asking that first. But see, the first thing that has to happen is you can't say, all right, now I have the method by which I date respectfully. The first thing that has to happen is you have to encounter the king. It's a heart change. The other questions I got, um, there was the, you know, how do you know if you're called to singleness? Um, am I going to have somebody? Is there someone for everyone? Kind of that, the, the angst of not being married or in a dating relationship. How does God deal with that? And um, Paige Benton, a friend of ours, wrote a great essay about that. And in it, she talked about being single. And she said, accepting singleness, whether it's temporary or it's permanent, doesn't hinge on speculation about answers God has not given to our list of whys, but rather on the celebration of the life He has given. I'm not single because I'm too spiritually unstable to possibly deserve a husband, nor am I... uh, Single because I'm too spiritually mature to possibly need one. I'm single because God is so abundantly good to me. Because this is His best for me. And my identity is not found in my marital status, but in my redemptive status. I am one of the haves and not one of the have-nots. God in His good and loving and kind, infinite wisdom has chosen not to answer those kinds of questions. Is there someone for everyone? Am I going to have somebody? And I think what he wants us to do is to trust what Paul says in Romans, that all things work together for the good of those who love him. And it really may be true that his wonderful, good, and providential love for you is that you remain single. And it very well may be true that his wonderful, good, and providential love for you is that you get married. But what he's ultimately concerned about in either scenario is, do you trust him? Do you trust that He wants good things for you? Psalm 34 and Psalm 84 says that He doesn't withhold any good things from His people. Do you trust Him? Or have you said, good things for me only mean marriage? If I can't have that, there's no way you're giving me good things. Do you trust Him? Sometimes we think that religion is about God finally kind of giving us all that we want. But if you've been at First Pres several weeks ago, Sinclair Ferguson talked about how in Romans, Paul actually says... One of God's forms of judgment is He just starts giving people everything they want. Can you trust God that the good thing, that where your station is right now is what He intends for you? Can you find contentment there? Can you believe that He loves you there? James even says, you know, sometimes when it's hard, he says, consider it pure joy. He says, consider it pure joy, brothers, when you encounter trials of many kinds. When things are hard and they're not the way you expect them to be, James calls us to find joy there. How can we find joy there? The king sits on the throne and he's restoring his people and we're going to a party at the end of creation and death will not be the end of us. There's joy in that and nothing can take it away. Singleness is, can be hard. Do you trust him? Other question I had, this is one that came up a lot. Um, can girls ask out guys? I think it was the guys that probably asked that question. Um, <laughs> Thanks for laughing. Um, the Bible doesn't speak to it. And we can't say something's wrong that the Bible doesn't speak to because a lot of people say that's wrong, but I don't see anything in Scripture that says a girl can't ask out a guy. In fact, in the book of Ruth, it appears that Ruth kind of pursues Boaz in the story. 
There's actually precedent, precedent in Scripture for a woman making some kind of moves towards pursuit toward a man. So girls, is it okay to ask out a guy? I think so. But you need to be warned, asking out is vulnerable. And you're extending yourself. I'm not saying you can't do it, but I am saying to do that, you're setting yourself up and saying, here I am, I'd like to spend time with you, and you have to be willing to deal with the consequences of the answer. So do it, it's fine, but be prepared that it's a risk. And probably what we need to say here too is this, <coughs> guys, y'all need to ask out the girls that you're perpetually flirting with. Because in some ways, <coughs> leadership for you probably does look like taking risk in this category. It's not wrong for girls to do it, but I am comfortable saying it feels like it should be weighted toward the guys. And to perpetually flirt with girls and draw out their attention and draw out their affection, you need to be honest with yourself about this. You're drawing out their attention and affection because it feels good to have girls that adore you and think you're cute and you can flirt with. And there's a certain level, and I don't know where the line is where that friendship's appropriate, there's a certain level in which you just like the attention that you can get from girls. You need to ask out the girls you're perpetually flirting with. (laughs) And then enjoy each other's company. See, I am saying date, believe it or not. um, Enjoy each other's company. And then in your emotional and your physical and your spiritual relationship, honor the king the way two unmarried people should honor the king. Guys, when girls say yes, consider it a privilege. And when they say no, respect and honor that. Because that's harder for them to say that. Um, And let me say this too. Duff hit on it the other week. (coughs) Proverbs actually says, you lack sense if you're drawn to and attracted to sexuality as the primary attraction. It says it's folly to be seduced in that manner. And really what it is, it's both our flesh and sin, but it's also just weakness to dismiss people because, and this is really what it is, (coughs) the marketing experts have created an image and told you this is what beauty is, and we've been manipulated by their expertise into thinking that's what beauty is. And it's an arbitrarily generated image that plays on our sin. And we've said, that's what beauty is, and that's what I'm attracted to. It really is weakness, y'all. It really is us being manipulated. It's other people, experts, knowing exactly what they're doing, saying, this will get their attention. And let's make this their standard. Is weakness for men and for women to say, that's what the standard of beauty and physical attraction is is the standard, is the thing that draws me to people. And the scripture says it's folly because all physical beauty is fleeting and it's vanity. And if you believe that you have to have something, <clears throat> have to have someone that looks that particular way, what you're implicitly saying is actually you can't be happy in marriage after the age of 50. And this is really what you're saying. There's no love in marriage after the age of 50. Because the way Tim Keller says, uh, everybody looks the same at the end of their life. It kind of evens out at the end. <clears throat> Are you setting up for marriage that can't be, there can't be happiness in it, there can't be love in it, because there can't be beauty in it after the age of 50? Can you see the Christian character in front of y'all? Can you see the Christian character in front of y'all and pursue that? Fear runs after fleeting vanity and physical appearance. And faith really, truly, not in some sweet cheesy card, cheesy Christian greeting card way. Faith really and truly delights in godly character and sees godly character as beautiful. It really is beautiful. We're not just saying that to make people feel better. 
It's real true beauty. So that's the um, the girl, can the girls ask out guys question, which apparently all the guys needed to answer to. Um, <coughs> lastly, the question I guess that kind of continue to plague us this whole semester is the kind of well then how do I date right? And um, since fear believes that what you're supposed to do is do what it takes to keep yourself safe, then fear means that fundamentally what we need to do is we need to implement a system here. And what fear drives us to think is, you know, the problem is whether or not you have the right system in place. And so you get these Christian books that are battering each other over things like courtship and dating and maybe even arranged marriages and these heated debates in the church. Dating sinful, courtship's horrible. Arranged, you don't get arranged marriage very much, but for the sake of having more than two. <laughs> um, but Scripture doesn't say it's the system that's the problem. Scripture says the problem with dating, because it's the problem with everything, is our hearts. The problem is that we live in self-centered fear and we don't live in faith in the king. Dating is not wrong. Dating without character is wrong. Courtship's not wrong. Courtship without character, without godly character, is wrong. See, ultimately, this is really true and it really is applicative. Jesus is the key to a healthy dating relationship. And healthy relationships, according to Scripture, they don't promise safety. The Psalms are full of prayers by David and other people about all the strife in life, about how hard so many relationships are. What God intends in healthy relationships is so much more than just safety and prosperity. And it does mean that you go through hard things in life. What God intends is that your words and your actions demonstrate to one another the gospel. And they honor the king and they rejoice in his grace and they're driven by his grace and so you forgive each other and you seek to relate to your brother or sister in Christ in a way that honors the king and seeks their holiness and you seek to relate to your husband and wife in a way that honors the king and seeks their holiness. But this is the key underneath all of it. And they're... There are practical considerations you should talk to your friends about all the time. You, should, you could talk to me about it or anything. I get that there are legitimate questions underneath it all, but what I hope you see all this semester is you can't just make a set of rules and implement a system for successful dating and successful marriage. You've got to encounter the king. And when you go there, you find that the very thing that sits at the foundation of a healthy marriage is the thing that sits at the foundation of all creation is that the king saw it made a world and he intended it to be beautiful. And we messed it up and we see in our own lives all the ways that we've taken hold of it and made it about us. And he said, I want to restore it and I want to restore y'all and I'm going to do it through my own blood. And he offers us the grace to enter back into his kingdom and then participate in the renewing of all things. That's what sits at the foundation of healthy dating. Let's pray.